Your move, creep. Wish me luck, Freezer. You go, Ben Coco. Dino DNA. Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. That's the only thing I know how to do. It's a good-looking boy. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate. That's right, Lord! Welcome to Earth. You crossed the line. You know, that's just like, uh, your opinion, man. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Retrograde Podcast, the podcast where we talk about older movies. We talk about how they were made, how they were received, and whether or not they hold up. I am Austin. And I'm Marissa, standing in for George. Now, maybe you know more about this story than I do. Why isn't George with us today? George is not with us today because he is a loser. I beat him in a game of Blockbuster with our friends, and uh, we were doing a few rounds, and the final round, he said, okay, whoever wins is going to be the king of movies and can have an episode on my podcast, and he did not consult you before this. He did not. But I won, so here I am. (laughs) And as as our guest, you've won, you've like a champion- the champion's right to choose what movie we're going to talk about. So what movie are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about the greatest movie ever made, Labyrinth. From 1986, directed by... Jim Henson. Jim Henson, the yes. man himself. Mm-hmm. Mr. Muppet. The OG Muppet Man. So I think I've... And this is also the second David Bowie movie we've done. I just listened to your Velvet Goldmine but have you done another David Bowie movie? No, it's just that one. That's a great movie. Love it. I love it so much. I forgot how much I liked it until we, until I rewatched it again. I'm like, oh my God, I love this movie. When I was listening to it, because I talk to you guys all the time, I forgot that we weren't like in a Discord call. So as I was <laughs> listening to it, I was ready to like jump in. And I was like, oh wait, you guys aren't here. <laughs> uh, have you seen that meme of like uh, a dude eating cereal next to like cardboard cutouts of people talking and it's like, <laughs> what it's like listening to a podcast. <laughs> That's how I felt. I'm ashamed that I've known George for so long and I haven't educated him on enough David Bowie facts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Labyrinth is your favorite movie. Yes. Why is it your favorite movie? Can you remember where you were when you first saw this movie? I can tell you the exact date I first saw this movie. I first watched this March 27th, 2001. It was a VHS tape that my older sister got for her birthday. And I remember watching it with her. And I loved the movie. And thus began all of our troubles. (laughs) <laughs> what is it about the movie that stood out to you? How old were you in 2001? Oh, I, I'm not very good at math, and I don't want to do the math and then reveal my age, but I was, I was a little, little kid. I was really young. Mm-hmm. And I distinctly remember being really irritated with my sister because she was like, she wanted to watch this movie so bad, uh, and I wanted to eat my ice cream, and I didn't give a shit. <laughs> So I remember eating my ice cream and she was just angrily like putting it in the VCR and I came in (laughs) late and I was asking all these questions. She was like, well, you would have known the answer, Marissa, if you were here from the beginning. Oh, you didn't, you missed the beginning the first time? The first time I missed the beginning. Yeah. But I distinctly remember being just dazzled by this world because it was a kid's movie and they did not hold back on the world building for this fantasy film 
with a female lead, right? Mm-hmm. Usually, mm-hmm. well, I can't think of any '80s fantasy movie that has a female lead because it, it's not considered profitable. A lot of them, or almost 99% of them, have young men as the center of the story. Yeah. So that was a big thing that stuck out to me, and finally, I think the thing that really got the movie stuck in my head for a long time was because it ends. I don't know, should I spoil it? Well, listeners out there, if you haven't seen Labyrinth, well, I guess now's the time to pause the episode and watch it. Or we can you can listen to us <laughs> talk about the story. Okay, it yeah. ends with Jareth, David Bowie's character, basically making a huge plea, a huge declaration of love. And she says no. And that was a huge deal to me because I had never seen somebody just say, no, you, I don't owe you anything just because you claim to love me. Huh. And that's really like the, the seed that got planted in my brain and gave birth to this lifelong obsession. <laughs> okay. Uh, were you into the Muppets, like Sesame Street or the Muppet Show or any of that before yeah. this? Yeah, I was very much really into the Muppets, Sesame Street, um, Monty Python, Red Dwarf, all these things that really tie into Labyrinth. So looking back, it makes sense why this movie spoke to me specifically. And also the main character of Sarah very much spoke to me as well because she was this young girl who was obsessed with musicals and books and all the same things that I was passionate about and just wanted to hang out and not really let go of her childhood yet and daydream all day. Those are just things that additionally got me hooked. Huh. I can't remember. I think the first time I saw Labyrinth, I had I had known who David Bowie was and I, I heard the song. The, the magic dance song, mm-hmm. and I remember always hearing the beginning of it. Like you remind me of the babe. What babe? Babe with the power. I'm like, what are they talking about? And then I watched the movie. I'm like, oh, those were goblins. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm a pretty big David Bowie fan. Uh, I love puppets, and I think 1986 yeah. was like the year for singing puppets because. Little Shop of Horrors also came out this year. Oh, amazing movie. One of my favorite movies. So good. Uh, but I think I've only seen it the one time. How many times do you think you've seen it? Oh, I it's in the hundreds for sure, but I can't <laughs> tell you how many times I've seen it. Like, this was a movie that was, like, on repeat throughout my whole life. Uh, my family's sick of it. All my friends are sick of hearing about it. <laughs> um, I have traveled the world just to go to different museum exhibits to see parts of Labyrinth. I collect Labyrinth memorabilia. I'm immersed in the Labyrinth fandom online. It's it's a lifestyle. Huh. Oh, yeah, you were telling me about the that statue of Jareth that we posted was actually, like, not real? It was, like, a scam Oh, yeah, that was a really weird thing. So there was a $1,500 statue of Jareth that's, like, beautiful and i actually saw it at comic-con one year and then it came out that all these people who had bought it never received it the company declared <laughs> bankruptcy and no one ever got it and there's no communication whether they would ever get it this has been a few years i think no one's gotten this statue so i'm wow. glad i was too poor 
to invest in this. <laughs> you would have bought it, huh? Oh yeah, I'm a, you know that's Labyrinth fans are also suckers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's. Do you know much? You you probably know a bunch about the the trivia and history and how it was made and all that. Yeah, I do. Um, the VHS. Uh, tape that I watched the movie on had the documentary right after it on the same VHS tape. And then I've also spent lots of money on like books and and all these things that go into <laughs> history. So I, I've nice. I could teach a college class, I think, just on this movie. Are you has Jim Henson done any other movies uh, before this or is this his first one? Oh, the lab. Uh, sorry, uh, Dark Crystal was right before Labyrinth, and that was one of the reasons why they had David Boy in this movie because uh, Dark Crystal did not perform the way that Bowie, sorry, the way that Jim Henson wanted, and he felt that part of that was because there wasn't a human component. Because uh, Dark Crystal was all puppets. I think it was the first one without a human person. Yeah. Did he direct that one, or was that Frank Oz? No, he directed that one. Frank Oz, I believe. Might have directed some of the Muppet movies, but oh. they're mostly directed by Jim Henson. Uh, 79, the Muppet movie, and the great Muppet, Muppet Caper, 81, and Dark <sighs> Crystal is 82. Yeah. Man, we have, I've, I think I've, of these movies, I've only seen Labyrinth. Well, you saw the best one, so congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> it's all downhill from there. <laughs> no, uh, they're all great. They're all great in their own way, but Labyrinth specifically spoke to me. Do you know what else came out in 1986? I do. Unfortunately, one of George's favorites, Top Gun. And he's going <laughs> to argue that it's a better movie. I know, but it's not. It's, they're not. They're completely different movies. <laughs> you can't really compare Top Gun to Labyrinth. Uh, but yeah, Top Gun was the number one movie of that year. We've done this like... I think we've done this part two times before because we... Did Top Gun and we did Little Shop of Horrors, which both came out in 1986. But I'll just go over it again in case people haven't listened to that episode. Number one was Top Gun. Number two is Crocodile Dundee. Number three was The Karate Kid Part 2. Number four was Back to School. Five was Aliens. Six, The Color Purple. Seven, the Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home. Eight was Ruthless People. Nine, Out of Africa. And number ten was Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Have you seen any of those movies? Uh, yes. I have seen Aliens, of course, and I've seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Um, the other movies, I think I've seen like bits and pieces of them, but not enough to say that I could recall the plots or that I have fully seen them. The Ruthless People one, I've never heard of that movie until we started doing this podcast. <laughs> uh, also coming out this year is The Fly, Rocky oh. Four, Soul Man, which is a very, very controversial movie. <laughs> Have you heard of Sylvan? No, tell me about it. Okay. What do you think it's about? Just from that title. I'm assuming it's going to be a racist characterization <laughs> of black people. Would that be accurate? It's, that's pretty accurate. Oh, uh, great. There's a, a white dude wants to get into college. Oh, God. I hate and this in already. Order to, <laughs> in order to receive a scholarship, he goes to college in blackface under a basketball scholarship. What the fuck is this actor's name? Who agreed to do this? <laughs> out him right now uh i don't i don't know his name but it it is 1986 you know who else was in it who darth vader like james earl jones why (laughs) 
The what? 80s were a different time, I guess. Uh. Also, An American Tale, Short Circuit, uh, The Three Amigos, Little Shop of Horrors, and Big Trouble in Little China, which is a movie that I do still like. And I, don't I think haven't seen, seen that because I'm afraid it's going to be racist, but everyone tells me that's really good. A little bit, but the main character of that movie is Kurt Russell, and he's just kind of an idiot who's like, what the hell is this? What the hell is that? You know, it's like okay. a white dude in Chinatown, like, lost. <laughs> uh, but there's monsters and shit in there. Now, where the hell am I? What, you sleep in your office? Who the hell are you, anyway? Hey, who's that? What does that say? You did that, right? So what is this, Chinese or something, counting backwards? What the hell? Jesus Christ, where are we? I'd rather see an Asian person in Chinatown fighting monsters. You do see a lot of them. Like, like the guy who actually kicks ass is his, like, friend that he meets who's looking for a girl with jade, jade eyes, whose name is Jade. Or okay. green eyes, name is Jade. It's, it's, it's a weird movie, but it's got a lot of, like, puppets. I'll give it a chance. Yeah, I would, I would give it a chance. Uh, I don't think George has seen it either. I do want to do that as a future episode sometime but i digress so labyrinth we are about to watch it for george is about to watch it for the first time i'm about to watch it for my second time marissa for a hundred something times yeah by now has your relationship with the movie changed over the years have you noticed things like hit you differently as you're older absolutely absolutely i think when you watch this movie when you're like 14 or 15 years old, which is like the demographic for this movie, uh, you fall in love with Jared. You fall in love with David Bowie's character. And a lot of young women fall into this trap where they think, well, why didn't Sarah say yes? Mm -hmm. She was a fool. And then as you grow older, you realize the actual message of the movie is to learn that Jareth is a very abusive character. Yeah. He might claim to love you, but you need to listen to his action. You need to watch his actions, listen to what he's actually saying, and you don't owe anyone something just because mm -hmm. he says he loves you. Pretty good message to, to give to little girls out there. Yeah, and I can't think of any other movie that really does it that's geared toward young women and also doesn't hold back on the world-building of this fantasy. I remember the sets being like really extensive. Uh, I remember like the, the rolling ball that's going to squish them. They had to actually like build all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Jennifer Connelly actually had to run away from all these things. She had to be dangled over the bog. She had to drop like I think it was like 40 feet or something in the shaft of Helping Hands. Man. This is a wild movie. It's so much fun. Better than Citizen Kane and Paddington 2. <laughs> Top movie of all time. I don't understand why we still keep making movies because we've perfected the art. It's Labyrinth. <laughs> okay. Everyone can stop. The film industry can shut down. You're talking this movie up. <laughs> uh, do you think George is going to like this movie? No, I do not. You don't think he's going to uh, like it? No, I think he might like it, but he's going to pretend like he doesn't just to spite me. Well, I hope uh, George is a bigger person than that. I know that um, you've talked before on this podcast about how we do a movie night every week. Uh, and then we spin the wheel. Mm -hmm. So one week it was my turn. And he faked a power outage in his house <laughs> just to get out of watching this movie. How do you know he faked it? Is that something he's 
he's revealed to you or is that your your hunch? That is my hunch because I've talked to his little sister and she does not recall any power <laughs> outage. So I, awfully suspicious. Man, George is a villain. <laughs> he's a villain, but also one of my best friends. Well, if you say so. <laughs> <laughs> this movie didn't do very well at the box office, did it? No, it did not. Um, Jim Henson was really disappointed. Uh, this was the last movie he made before he died. What? Yeah, but before he died, he saw it becoming more of a cult classic because once it came out on VHS, that's when people really latched onto it and it hit the audience that it was supposed to. So right before he died, he he got to see some of that happen. Oh, that's nice. But it was very disappointing in theaters because it was up against a lot of these action-packed films like Top Gun. This came out in June of... June 27th. Yeah, the 35th anniversary just passed. Uh, let's, see what's, let's see what was coming out that year. So it was in the middle of Karate Kid season. Karate Kid Part 2 did very well. Uh, it was the number one movie for one, two, three, four weekends. And then it was Aliens and then The Fly. But before that, it was Back to School. Before that, it was Top Gun and Cobra. Which is like the Steven... No. Still Sylvester Stallone. My interest is dwindling. <laughs> <laughs> Labyrinth was number eight when it came out. Behind Ferris Bueller, Ruthless People, Legal Eagles. What the hell's Legal Eagles? <laughs> it sounds amazing. If there's a is there if there's an eagle puppet in there, I'm all in. Uh, I don't know if there's a puppet in there. It doesn't look like it. Oh, it looks awful. <laughs> <laughs> I think eight is the highest it, it reached in its theatrical run. Honestly, I'm shocked it even got that high. <laughs> very next weekend, it was number 13 behind... There we go, that's him, yeah. <laughs> ...behind everything else that came out, <laughs> including Big Trouble in Little China, which was also not a financial success. I think people just knew that this movie was going to be so good that they didn't want to watch it yet because they knew it was going to change their lives. <laughs> so they were like, let's hold back. Let's wait until I'm ready. There are all these other movies to see... Once I watch Labyrinth, nothing will ever be as good. <laughs> do you, th David Boy, what hadn't? Did he do a movie before The Man Who Fell to Earth? No, he was in The yeah. Hunger as well, right? Yes, and he was also in Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. Were those movies financial successes? They all should have been. They're all excellent. It's weird. I would feel like you, David Bowie is very popular during the eighties, right? Mm -hmm. Why yeah. wouldn't people go see a movie he was in? I think because he wasn't in movies that were destined to be commercially popular. I mean, The Man Who Fell to Earth is very long and not super action-packed, and it's very sad. And uh, The Hunger is a vampire movie, which, you know, doesn't appeal to everybody, certainly not at the time. And... Uh, Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, by the title, people might assume that it's a Christmas movie when really oh, it's a movie about prisoners of war. <laughs> no, Dead Boy plays a prisoner in a Japanese POW camp, and one of the guards like becomes obsessed with him, so it's about homoerotic tensions within the POW camp Ooh. during this time. And so like the 
uh, uh, another Japanese musician who was known for being avant-garde, just like Bowie, does a soundtrack, and it's one of the most beautiful soundtracks ever. I highly recommend this film. What's it called again? Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. Oh, I see it now. And it was directed by a Japanese director. Yeah. I think I think I remember reading about this when I was reading the the Rolling Stone article for Velvet Goldmine. Well, for da- when David Bowie uh, came out as straight, I guess. Well, he's not really straight. <laughs> I mean, when he said he was straight. Yeah. Yeah. People's perception of bisexuality was non-existent at the time so kind of still people don't believe in it i think that's true people aren't ready to accept that oh people are different from me impossible yeah and i think that's because a lot of those people didn't watch labyrinth at a young age so they're just basically (laughs) uneducated (laughs) all right I think we're ready to to uh, jump into this movie and then have George back and tell us what he thinks of the movie. And hopefully by the end of this, George and Marissa are still friends. <laughs> <laughs> we're still going to be friends. George, is, George has done some pretty rotten stuff through the years. <laughs> but I love him. That makes one of us. <laughs> All right. We'll see you guys in a minute. Bye. Bye-bye. You're the Goblin King. I want my brother back, please, if it's all the same. What's said is said. But I didn't mean it. Oh, you didn't. Please, where is he? You know very well where he is. Please bring him back, please. Sarah, go back to your room. Play with your toys and your costumes. Forget about the baby. I've brought you a gift. What is it? It's a crystal. Nothing more. But if you turn it this way and look into it, it'll show you your dreams. But this is not a gift for an ordinary girl who takes care of a screaming baby. Do you want it? Then forget the baby. Hello, everybody. We are back from watching Labyrinth, and George is going to be with us for this part of the episode because we just can't do this podcast without him. Well, (laughs) it is good to be home. Oh, this chair feels so much more comfortable now. Oh, you guys, I know to all the listeners out there, I know you missed me. So daddy's back. Daddy's home. Gross. And just like that, I'm like, hmm, maybe we can do this podcast without George. (laughs) (laughs) I do want to set the record straight because I listened to the first part. Now, I heard y'all were talking some shit. Specifically, Marissa saying that I ditched the Sunday night screening because of her, because it was Labyrinth. Melly says the power did not go out. No, 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 no. Melly said the power, she does not remember. Now, I'm going to do something that I rarely do. Tell the truth. Oh my God. (laughs) I'm going to tell you guys what actually happened that night that we were screaming Labyrinth. Screening Labyrinth. Are you ready, Marissa? I'm ready. Now this is the truth and nothing but the truth. If you don't believe me, this is on you. This says more about you than it does about me. Okay. All right. 
The truth is, the power did go out. Okay, well, then how come none of the other Montoyas remember this? Because the power was only gone for five to ten minutes. It was... So you could have rejoined after ten minutes. But but here's the thing, though. I did say I was going to tell the truth. Mm -hmm. So I am going to tell the truth. The power did go out. But even before the power went out, I was not paying attention to the film. God damn it. (laughs) In fact... I muted the film. <gasps> wow. The fuck, George. Because I was working and when the power went out, I lost all my work. So when it while it did come back five to ten minutes later, I was like, I could either join this film, have no idea what's happening, and mute it again, or I could just focus strictly on my work, make up everything that I've lost. And go back to go back to it after the movie's finished. So that's what I decided to do. So the power did go out, but I was not paying attention to it before it went out. So that is the truth, so Marissa. May my mother's back break oh my God. if I am lying. So you're just bad at making life decisions. You'd rather simp for capitalism than watch the greatest <laughs> movie ever made. So well, you know what? Turn in your film degree. You don't <gasps> deserve it. <gasps> Well, I met. I did finally manage to watch Labyrinth uninterrupted, and I watched it with Melly because she was curious. Oh. I sat down and watched it with Melly. We watched it. Actually, I saw it with my dad too. Oh my oh, god! Wow. Yeah, it was the a whole family affair. Yeah, we haven't sat down to watch a movie together in years outside of this a movie is theater. So beautiful. <laughs> Labyrinth brought us together. Oh my god! Yeah. So I want to know everyone's opinion. For Melissa, she liked it. She thought it was charming. She thought it was cute. My father, Jorge Sr., this is the word that he used to describe the movie. Garbage. (gasps) (laughs) He did not like it. Jorge Sr. betrayed me? I thought that we were on the same wavelength, but I'm sorry. I hate your dad. (laughs) <laughs> he hey, well, you know what? He listens to the podcast episodes, and he will know where the line is drawn now. Because he's Miss, like, Marissa's mm. such a nice girl, but that movie sucks. Mr. Montoya, you're on thin ice, buddy. But thank you for recommending a dentist. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> As for me, I quite enjoyed it. Thank you. I <laughs> I agree. Are you with just Melly? saying that. No, 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 no. I think it's charming. I think it's cute. Now, well, this what I- took, what, seven, eight years of friendship to get you to watch this goddamn movie? <laughs> Probably longer. Uh, because yeah. we don't know when we actually first met. It, was, it may have been sophomore year. So it might, be, true. might be closer to nine. But I, I, I did like it. I think it's fine. I think it's cute. I, I, I agree with Melly in that it is a charming movie. And it's a lot funnier than I imagined. And a lot scarier too. <laughs> it's it's more it's it's more of things that I didn't imagine it was. Uh, but I'm not in love with it as much as you, Marissa. Sorry to say. Do you think you would have had a different opinion if you saw it as a child? A hundred percent, yes. This movie is this movie is tailor made for children. Something I was thinking about was one of the reasons that Disney Pixar films are really great is because they're great for kids. And adults like an adult can watch Toy Story 3 and really get a lot out of it. Probably more than children can. Right. Mm, Especially if they've watched the other ones. Exactly. Like Soul. 
recently just came out. I think my mom and dad got more out of it than me and my sister did. And maybe more than a child might. Um, not That's not to say children won't get anything out of it. But I think it invites a lot of introspection from older people. They can. Labyrinth is not that, in my opinion. Labyrinth is a fun tale that as a kid, is a, it's amazing to see. Because it's a fantasy world. There's a bunch of weird shit happening. It's very, it's charming. It's funny. It's silly. Um, but as an adult, I don't know if it brings in that, it invites that same introspection. Ergo, how my dad felt about it. Those are my well, general feelings, but we'll get, we could get more into it. What were you going to say, Marissa? I'm sorry. Well, before, before I jump into what I was going to say, Austin, I would love to know your opinion. Uh, so I've seen this movie before, right? And so this is like, I think the second time I've ever seen this movie. And I don't remember a lot of the things that happened in this movie. I would like every, like, what, five to ten minutes, she kind of, like, goes into, like, this new, uh, like, subsection of the this fantasy world that she's constructed in her subconscious that I just don't remember. Like, I remember the, like, the big wheel, the cleaners that comes and chase her. I remember how she, like, walks through the endless steps and everything. I remember the dance, the magic dance scene, but, like, the helping hands... I know you talked about it in the first part of the episode, but I had, I've completely forgot about that. And that, like all these people like make faces with their hands and like voice, like it's, it's so weird. The fireies. I didn't remember that at all. You didn't? I didn't oh. remember that at all. Oh, the fire animals. Yeah. Okay. Um, so like, it was almost like I was watching it for the first time and there would be there would be like these moments that were just like, Jesus, that's really funny. Like, I can't imagine why someone would put that in a kid's movie. <laughs> <laughs> Specifically when one of the fireys, like their eyeballs pop off. Yes, and they're I like, love it. <laughs> That was terrifying as a child. There was oh. a moment where... Like I couldn't, I would skip that song in the soundtrack because <laughs> the memory of the fireies would scare me so bad. Wait, wait, you skipped yeah. the song on the soundtrack? Yeah, my sister and I had the soundtrack on a CD and we would play it in our room sometimes. And whenever that song came up, I would tell her to skip that one because I was scared. That's really funny. Okay. Um, so yeah, like, so like that weird stuff, it's like, it's really interesting. And the other thing that I noticed was this is all definitely a part of her like subconscious her dreams all these things i think she's manifesting them they represent some kind of anxiety or fear of her like teenage years or whatever and i was trying to like figure out like what what each subsection of her of the labyrinth represents for her mm -hmm. yeah and i couldn't get far i think i need to rewatch it again i'd have i don't really know what that whole the fireies were about <laughs> i was like well, other it's stuff, a lot like about, the... like, bodily autonomy. These people are trying to claim ownership. Oh, that's and, right. And, like, take her apart. And they're very grabby, right? And they're these yeah. wild bad boys who party and say that nothing can tie them down. So it's that part of her growing up that's wondering or sort of like exploring this subculture that might be appealing when you're that age. Mm. There is something yeah. about this movie and just like physical contact or something that kind of made me a little uh, a little anxious. 
especially the the helping hands. Helping chap. hands, yeah. yeah, yeah. And when you put it that way about the fireys, I'm like, oh yeah, that like I didn't think about that when I was watching the film, but that makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. I'm like, oh shit, yeah. And just how close Jared is with her, like when he gets close to her, and it's like, yeah. it's like, ooh, okay. There's something I, I don't per I don't have uh me personally, I don't really have that much personal space but this movie brought out some of those anxieties <laughs> even this movie yeah. was like oh, i don't okay oh, i don't know what it is and that because that's definitely something that a 14 or a 15 year old girl is gonna have to deal with mm-hmm. so i think that's a very good way of addressing it that she knows subconsciously that these people want to get too close to her and she's gonna be grabbed in a way that she doesn't want to be so all of those fears are built into the labyrinth. They pull from her real life. That's well, really interesting. Something like I I'm- noticed it like when the with the junk lady, how like she's mm-hmm. she is kind of becoming the junk lady by like hiding in her room all the time and like collecting mm-hmm. all these things, and never yeah. letting them go. Not even wanting to share her <laughs> her fucking teddy bear with her baby stepbrother. Well, she's I like mean, a hoarder. Favorite bear. I, I don't know. Is it her favorite or is it one of her favorites? There's a lot of stuffed animals. It's supposed to be like her favorite, but I I love the junk lady. When I was little, um, I was I was like scared of my dad because he was always complaining that things were too messy. So when he would mm. like walk into the room, I would have to like hide that I was watching this part <laughs> of the movie until he would like pass. So he wouldn't be like, "See, you're gonna turn into that lady when yeah, you grow basically. up." Yeah, basically. Oh. Too late, Dad. I'm the junk lady. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, so usually when we do these movies, we have a like our initial thoughts, and then we go and try to tell the story to listeners who might not have the movie accessible right now. So as our guest and as someone who's seen the movie a hundred plus times, would you like to give a five-minute summary for Labyrinth? Real quick, uh... Something that you didn't mention in the first part was this movie is actually available on HBO Max right now. That's so, true. Unlike Velvet Goldmine, which you cannot find on the internet, <laughs> this movie is easily accessible. I recommend you guys check it out. If not, that's cool. Just keep listening to the rest of the episode and maybe we may convince you to give this movie a watch. All right, Marissa. Thank you. So, The Labyrinth is the greatest movie ever made. And it tells a story... <laughs> Of a young 14, 15 year old girl who loves to just be in her room, read her books, play with, play in costumes, and live in this fantasy world. And she has a book called Labyrinth, which tells the story of a young girl like her who is forced to look after her baby brother and, as she puts it, is treated like a slave. She isn't, <laughs> she's treated like an older sister, but you know, she's immature. Um, So one day, her stepmother tells her that she needs to stay home, babysit her little brother, and basically sort of makes her feel a little bit bad about herself. So that night, she gets very frustrated. Toby, her little brother, won't stop crying, and she gives in, and she wishes him away to the goblins. Goblins come in take the baby brother away and then she realizes well this isn't really what I want at all I need to get my baby brother back I love him and the king of goblins who according to her book is in love with her says that if you solve my labyrinth in 13 hours you will get your baby brother back if not he's going to be one of us forever 
So she goes on this journey in this magical world, encounters friends along the way, uh, faces a lot of obstacles, grows a lot as a person, and in the end, she gets to the center of the labyrinth. Jareth begs her to love him and stay and be his slave, and she says, no, you have no power over me. She gets her baby brother, she returns home, and it ends with a party in her room with everyone she met in the <laughs> labyrinth, and it's a beautiful tale. Good good summary. I, you know what? I will say, out of all the films that we've uh, that we've seen for this podcast, this is the happiest ending <laughs> out, of, <laughs> out of all of them. This is, the I think, the most, the most feel-good, or the second most feel-good, uh, behind Speed Racer. Yeah, Speed, Speed Racer, Racer makes me cry happiness at the end. <laughs> yes, but there's something about, I think, that ending in particular where... They're having a party in her room because you think, you know, this is the part where like in a Pixar movie, like, oh, OK, partner, goodbye. I can't see Hoggle anymore. Uh, but no, they're like, oh, you want us? Well, we're here. We're right behind you. It was really cute. I really like that ending a lot. And remember, fair maiden, should you need us? Yes, should you need us for any reason at all? I need you, Hoggle. You do? I don't know why, but every now and again in my life, for no reason at all, I need you. All of you. Oh, you do? Well, why didn't you say so? <laughs> and I think it also kind of spoke to me like with COVID and everything, how we've all been kind of trapped in our rooms and we've all kind of gone back to old ha uh, hobbies and stuff and reconnected with older friends that are also stuck in the room. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. I found this year out of, uh, this year alone, I've reconnected with a bunch more people through Instagram and stuff. And it's, it is wild because it's not that I haven't reached out to them because I hate them or anything. It's just, you know, you lose contact with some people. But this past year, yeah, I've kind of have been reconnecting with them. It's like reconnecting with my old dolls or not dolls, but actual <laughs> human beings. But it's that it's like that scene in, at the end of Labyrinth. It's really cute. And you're absolutely you. You hit it right on the head, Austin. Yeah. One thing I love about that ending is what I interpreted it to mean as a little kid was that, oh, no matter how old you get. You don't have to let go of all your childhood immediately one day. Yeah. There's always a part of you that can hold on to it forever, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Everything you're saying is true. It is, you know, you could still have your toys, and there's still a part of it's okay to be a child. You just can't, just don't be a brat. You know? <laughs> <laughs> don't be, don't be a dick to your little baby brother. Um, but this movie is like just, it's a, it's a nice watch. Like it's a pleasant viewing experience. It's not too dark. It's not too um, like emotionally draining. Even Speed Racer, um, there are just moments where it just kind of gets a little bit dark. It's really sad at points. Yeah, there are just multiple moments in Speed Racer that are really sad. And this movie doesn't really have any points that hit as low as that. Yeah. And it, it does hit some pretty high points. One, one of my favorite things about the film is there's really no, you know, um, one of the biggest threats is her baby brother becoming a goblin, right? Um, the second biggest threat is that Hoggle might get thrown into the bog of stench. 
Yeah, Normally, I think those were the highest stakes of the movie. It's like, oh, man, Hoggle's going to get stinky forever. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is a part in other fantasy films where Jareth would say, I'm going to destroy you and capture your soul, Hoggle, you little bitch. And <laughs> no, it's like, oh, he's going to throw me in a bog that's really stinky. And it's like, how stinky is it? That stinky. And it's just, it, they make like kind of a punchline out of it. It's it's a fart joke. That's what it is. Yeah, it's a fart it's, joke. Yeah. Oh God, it looks so gross. It does. But <laughs> even but even then, I'm like, that's kind of fun. Like, you didn't have to threaten to take his life or destroy his family or destroy his home. You just said, you're going to smell really bad, but you're still going to be fine for the most part. I think that's really cute. That's what adds to the charm of this film. I like how the the big Yeti dude Ludo, Ludo, yeah. Like the he only has like one line when he's when they're in the bog of stench. We gotta get out of this stench. No stench of what speakest thou? The smell. I smell nothing. Oh, you're joking. But I live by my sense of smell. Smell bad. <laughs> he says it with different different inflections. Oh, uh, it's so fun. Ludo is my favorite character. He's so sweet. I, yeah. Sir Didymus. I knew it. Yeah. Sir Didymus? I was like, that's George right there. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> what bullshit? No, you didn't. I even wrote it in yeah, my notes. Yeah, he's like so delusional. You're right. Oh my God. <laughs> he talks himself up and... <laughs> and everyone's like, yeah, yeah, Sir Didymus, you're right. Like how George is allowed to have a podcast and we can't do it without him. Like, yeah. You're right. And then within like seconds, it's like, hmm, maybe we can. <laughs> <laughs> Open up. Open the door. Shh. We must go quietly. <laughs> Open up. Open up right now. Adenimus, wake the guard. Quiet. Let the wall wake up. I shall fight you all to the death. Adenimus, for my sake, hush. <laughs> Uh, when he has his dog, when Sir Didymus calls over his dog. Ambrosia? Ambrosius. He's like, my, what does he say? Like, my loyal steed or... Um, yeah. It, it's so, me and Melly both started dying when he said that. <laughs> <laughs> we had to pause the movie. And there's just something about it that, just really cute. Just seeing a little puppet on an actual dog running around. Yeah. And the, the dog is, is her dog. It's Merlin. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. But it is. she I, doesn't like make the connection in her head because it's a dream world where things don't make sense like that, you know? Well, it's like Wizard of Oz. Dorothy never noticed yeah, that's that true. all her friends in Oz were her friends in real life, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that witch looks an awful lot like my neighbor. No, yeah. never occurred to her. And she does have like a Wizard of Oz poster I noticed it when the junk lady was like taking stuff and putting it on her back. Like she's got Wizard of Oz memorabilia. Yeah. That was a this, very intentional reference. Well, this movie relies on, or doesn't rely, but it references a, a Wizard of Oz a lot. And like mythology in general. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's very fantasy heavy. I think um, if you're someone who is into fantasy, into the fantasy, fantasy genre, I think you're really going to like finding all the little references and stuff here because even in the beginning or uh when there's like a panning shot across her room and you see all these books and paintings and stuff and it references things that are going to come in the future of the film yeah it tells it references everything yeah and but it also references other pieces of literature and art and like the endless stairs i've seen 
that painting. I don't know where I've seen it, but I've seen it before. And that's that's all throughout this entire film. It's very reliant on fantasy imagery. And I think that's really cool. I think if you're someone who's really into fantasy, you'll be able to sink your teeth into this film for a while and be able to find a yes. bunch of stuff. Yes, absolutely. I uh, I'm big into fantasy. Uh, and like I said before, it's one of the few fantasy movies where there's a, a female lead. So it's it's spectacular in that regard. Uh, in terms of the opening scene where you see all everything in her bedroom, I don't know if you two noticed this, but there's a photo on her mirror that of her mom, of her mom and David Bowie. So that's what? where she got. Oh, yeah. I think I caught that. I think there was a moment where I was like, wait a second, is that David Bowie? The backstory is her mom and her dad divorced because her mom was a famous theater actress. She had an affair with this David Bowie character. So in her fantasies, <laughs> Jareth is, is pulled from this man that her mom had an affair with. Oh, wow. shit. I did not. E that wasn't hinted through the film, though, was it? Or I mean, it was never said explicitly. No, you just no. have to notice the photo. She does have an obsession with like the with the theater. I mean, she's in the first scene of the film. She's acting out Labyrinth. Yeah, and you um, see the posters for Cats and Evita. <laughs> all she the playbill, all the playbill brochures, they're there. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this is a theater kid 101. So the fact that her mother was a was a theater actress, it, the connections are really starting to. I'm seeing the connections now. Yo, that's wild. I didn't even, I had no idea that was even like a theory or, because or, I think I did notice that picture of David Bowie, but I, I didn't bother, I didn't bother to really think about it. I just kind of took it as, okay, well, it's just, oh, he's. Just some he's fun a, facts for you. He's a mm. spooky guy. <laughs> <laughs> he's got like some serious skills with a crystal ball. Oh my God. There was only one moment where I think. They they used a double, but for the most part... No, he didn't do any of it. That was Wait, actually... <laughs> there's something called contact juggling, and it was made popular by a man named Michael Motion, and he is the one who is doing this blind, crouched behind David Bowie, what? and doing it with his right hand. He's, he's stuck his hand underneath David Bowie's armpit, and he's doing it blind. That God David Bowie could do that at all. So they did take after take of that. <laughs> and all Bowie had to do was stand there. He was loving it. Are you kidding? Yeah. That's crazy. Oh, what Dude, the? I had I had to like watch that scene over and over again because I was just, I had my eyes on the ball. Like I wasn't paying attention to what he was saying. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> That's hilarious. I was, I was so sure that it was Bowie that he learned how to do basic tricks with it. But there was no. like a cutaway shot where you see the back of David Bowie's head when, they, when he's in Sarah's room. And I was like, oh, that's a stunt double, clearly. No, he is crouched down be behind him. That's wild. Yeah. Yo, what the? Damn. Yo, shout out to that guy for doing <laughs> that blind. I thought I was being clever and being like, oh, that's a stunt double right there. I know it because I know how this stuff works. No, dumb motherfucker. You don't. I, I did not know that. And on top of that, the sets in this movie... Oh, yeah. Incredible. Crazy. There's so much craftsmanship to this. And glitter just plastered everywhere and on every surface. So much glitter. And all the puppet work. It's incredible all and around. They all look different. Like, I guess maybe the 
the fireys kind of look like salacious crumb from return of the jedi but like all the other puppets i they look so unique like when you see one it's like oh that's labyrinth you know (laughs) yes i know exactly what you mean and i i love the goblins the goblins oh (laughs) i love the from their intro it's like she's gonna see it yeah, it's like what? this hard cut to like these goblins in the dark room looking at the camera. It's like, Which, whoa, did did you see that? <laughs> oh, that was a that was a jump scare for me. Yeah. I jumped out of my seat. I was like, oh shit, what the? <laughs> I, and There's I, a lot of people I know who stopped watching the movie at that point as kids and then never watched it again because <laughs> it was too scary for them. I'm like, you haven't even gotten to the fireys. Like, this is really the first time I'm watching it because I'm paying attention and stuff. It's it scared me. It startled me for a second. I was like, oh, sh- that's creepy. <laughs> and I have to wonder if that was an intentional decision because this movie is for kids. That that might scare kids. Were, were you scared when you first saw that? No, I wasn't scared at that scene. I was scared when they when the fireys pulled their eyes out. But mm. <laughs> the rest of the movie didn't really scare me that much. Okay. I then it just me then because I or it's Austin too because I, I it startled me, man. I and I think it startled Melly a little bit too. We were both taken. We weren't expecting that. We weren't expecting a close-up of, like, ten goblin puppets. (laughs) I forgot how quickly, like, we get into the fantasy world. I think it's, like, what, ten, fifteen minutes? And then we're in the labyrinth world. Mm -hmm. We're right outside Goblin City. Oh, yeah, they're not fucking around. Whereas Hook, similar kind of, like, you take someone in, like, a normal setting and put them in this, like, fantastical setting. In Hook, it took, like, what, 35 minutes for him to get to Neverland? That's what I was going to say. Hook took way too long to get started. This movie's like, here's your main character, here's the problem, boom, you're in the labyrinth. I I appreciated that. I'm like, boom, thank you. In the world in Labyrinth feels so big, too. Like, there's so many different places. And in, in Hook, it was just like, well, there's the island, that's where the pirates hang out, and this is the one town. And it's like, that's it? You you had the trees where the Lost Boys hung out at. You had the ship and the um, the bay nearby, you know, kind of like that city next to the ship. And that's about it. Yeah, and Labyrinth, I definitely get the sense that there's so many different creatures and dark places to explore. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the Labyrinth is constantly changing. As Sarah grows up or as we grow up, the contents of the Labyrinth are probably going to change as well. And I love that. Yeah, I definitely get the vibe that if a different person were to go in, the labyrinth would change depending on that person. There, it seems very, it seems like it's meant to fuck with you in a way. And yeah. I got that feeling the whole way through. And I'm like, this is incredible. Like the fact that you're giving off this kind of creepy vibe that there are mysteries around every corner of this labyrinth. And if it's all, it all looks great. It all looks cool. I, it, like you said, Marissa, I felt like this labyrinth went on for miles and miles and miles. When in reality, they probably had what, like maybe 10, 15 sets? Yeah. I, and they like paint the sky in the background. So as Sarah's running through the labyrinth, she can only run so far before she hits the background. <laughs> <laughs> they had real restrictions, but it did not feel that way watching the film. Austin's right. Hook definitely felt a bit more restricted. And that movie had a $70 million budget. This one had 25, which is the same as The Little Shop of Horrors. And unfortunately, they were both not very well received uh, at the box office. 
This movie made 13 million. It's like half of its budget back. Yeah. It it is it is fun watching this back to back with Velvet Goldmine. I mean, it's, you know, they have they share a lot in common actually. I mean, David Bowie part of it. These are films that um did not that were not financially successful. Uh both had kind of low not low budgets but i mean imagine if there was a labyrinth though that had a 70 million budget whoa there'd geez. be so many more puppets well that's the thing this movie and velvet goldmine use their small budgets to great effect well, this wasn't a small budget for for a movie back then no, so no 25 million was was more than top gun Wait, no, but what? Yeah, we've talked about this before, dude. I keep forgetting, man. <laughs> I can't remember all of our episodes. Oh my god. Labyrinth was a was it a Warner Warner Brothers movie? Mm-hmm. 25 million was the at the time the most ex, like Little Shop of Horrors also a Warner Brothers movie was the most expensive movie Warner Brothers had ever made. I do so, remember that vaguely. <laughs> yeah, I think Top Gun had a 15 million dollar budget. Really? Definitely, th- definitely, this movie had a bigger budget than Aliens. Oh well, then I take back everything I said. Then this movie had a lot of money. Then yeah, you see all the money that they spent on this movie. That's what I was thinking. I was like, twenty five doesn't seem like a lot, but it. But I guess I'm wrong. It is. It's the eighties, baby. But hey, man, they used that budget to great effect because, yeah, you know, some things, you know, like the, the the sky background. You know, I'm sure those sets may not be as big, but they look big on set. You know, when the boulders are mm-hmm. going through the Goblin City, it feels like, like a city. It feels it like... It really does. I was kind of looking to see, like, okay, where'd they cheat this? I'm like, nope, it looks like they built every single building that I, <laughs> I can see. I really got the vibe that you could walk around in the city. If, like, if yeah. they had, like, a labyrinth universal theme park section. <gasps> oh, like, my God. That, <laughs> I, well, that's the thing. This movie... I mean, this movie has so much jam-packed in it that I honestly really think you could build a section totally. out in a theater, in a theme park, in a theme park that like is dedicated to the Goblin City and the Shaft and oh the actual God. labyrinth and yes. like Jared's uh, castle and stuff. I'm like, you have enough here to build something. I have been planning a labyrinth theme park for years. And let me tell you, <laughs> it's going to be great once I have the funding. <laughs> you ride around in one of the bubbles from the ballroom. It's going to be great. Oh, that would be cool. You can see the, the oob- what do they call them? Like the pits? The oubliette. Oubliette. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and like That would be like the, the scary part. Just the simple effect of opening the door and it's a closet and then opening the door in the other way and it's, <laughs> it's the escape like that blew my mind as a kid yeah and i think isn't it just like one shot too yeah it is so someone had to like move the set around behind that easy as that but it's <laughs> so cool this movie's very crafty you very know, crafty they, they were like you could tell that this movie was made by by professionals because they're like all right this is what the camera's going to see. So we need to design it like this. And all the creatures are going to be yay high. So, you know, all the performers need to be here. And that's that's the thing, too. You're not building sets that people are inhabiting, you know, because people are, what, four feet to six feet, generally, uh, you know, actors or whatever. Well, but, the actors in this film, I think there were a lot of little people playing the, the goblins. Well, yeah. And you also have to account for the actual puppets, like the, like the actual puppets. Like, all right, so... 
you know, we we don't we can't we don't have to we can't show the person. So this puppet has to be over here. Or you need to go over here. Yeah, it's insane when you start breaking it down. It's like how the fuck do they get all these puppets to to walk around do their thing while these boulders mm-hmm. are coming in like around <laughs> this tiny set? It is it is very much a work of craftsmanship. There's of only deep, deep like. Love. Like one scene where it like it just doesn't look as good because of like the green screen effects with the oh, fireies. Yeah. Oh. It looks like a like a TikTok or something. Well, it's like one of the if not the first time they were doing that effect with a moving camera. The only time they'd done it before it was in Anchors Away when Gene Kelly dances with uh the mouse from Tom and Jerry. They had to be very innovative at the time. There was another moment that I saw where they kind of uh, flubbed it a little bit. I think it was when Sarah ate the peach, and I think she's falling, and there's like oh, yeah. the wires. You can see yeah. the wire, and I was like, "Oh no, no, no!" I see the wire. <laughs> but honestly, like with how much effort went into, because the oh, thing yeah. is, this they, there was a lot of effort put in this movie. That those two things, the background and the wires, they don't bug me. Like they don't, yeah. they don't upset me because I'm like. So much work went into it, and it was a long time ago. They're pushing, they're they're doing a lot of stuff. Yeah. So instead of being like, hey, hey, I'm like, you know what? <laughs> you get a pass. I'm I'm gonna let this go. I'm not gonna. This isn't gonna bother me. I notice it, but it's not gonna bo- bother me. Yeah, because, it's not. It's not really. It just tells you like, oh, this was the '80s. Yeah, like this shit was hard to make, man. So you know, it's funny because nowadays with most movies, like when there's like a an error in VFX or something. Everyone's like, ah, look, look, there it is. There's Fuck a Starbucks em. cup. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like when, when you could tell the effort was put in, I'm like, just, you know, you guys like, just let it go. That Starbucks cup. Who cares? Who cares, man? There's so many little details that, you know, after hundreds of viewings, you're still kind of picking up something new every time. Did you notice anything new this time you watched it? Well, when I went to um, the Center of Puppetry Arts in Georgia, they had an exhibit on Labyrinth there. So I went there to, I went to Georgia just to look at this exhibit. Wow. And one of them had a, a staff that had like a goblin head on top and he was wearing like armor. And I was like, I don't remember this in the movie. It must have been something that one of the goblins was holding in the background during the battle. Recently, I watched it. And like for a second, this goblin staff swings into screen as like front and center for like a flash. And I was like, oh, that's where it is. I found him. <laughs> you have to think about how many props had to be made for this film. Mm-hmm. It's insane. It's just, fuck, man. This, this movie's a lot. For I- the um, shaft of helping hands, they had to make so many uh, of those, you know, those gnarled arthritic hands. So people had to puppeteer them, right? So mm-hmm. what they did was they had a casting call for extras to be in the next David Bowie movie. So all these women showed up beautifully oh. dressed in cute little dresses. <laughs> and they were told, okay, for this day, you're going to stick your arm into this sweaty latex hand all day. Have fun. And I think God. that's hilarious. I would have loved to be one of those women. I was wondering, like, man, those must be a lot of puppeteers working. It really, it was just a bunch of David Bowie stands, except for the people, <laughs> except for the people who were actually like doing the uh, the hand things, like like the the faces of the shapes, mm-hmm. the the shapes of the faces, right? When they're like, 
You could go either up or you could go down. I imagine those were puppeteers. Yeah. I was like, they, they didn't like just go to some random like David Bowie fans like, all right, what you need to do is follow my lead. You need to do this with your hands. I, I encourage you if you are interested to watch the Labyrinth documentary. It's really short, but they go behind the scenes of them trying to do the chore- choreography for the helping hands, the choreography for the fiery dancing, because, you know, there were like three people per puppet. And it's yeah. really cool to see. And you learn about how the Hoggle puppet worked because it was all done through animatronic. The head is animatronic and there's a little person inside. Mm-hmm. So Brian Henson, who was puppeteering the head, had to understand Sherry's movements. It's all so cool. Yeah, because someone has to control his face. And the face has to like understand what the person inside is doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she had a monitor inside the costume at one point, <gasps> but it made her like motion sick. So what they had to do was basically make Hoggle do a lot of sounds where he opens his mouth so she can see where she's going. Oh my god. The Hoggle crew are five performers, five performers, one of which is really an actress, Shari. She's inside the costume. She does the whole, all the body movement and her head is inside the head. However, the jaw is not connected to her jaw. Nothing that the face is doing has any connection with what she's doing with her face. The other four members of the crew are all radio crew, myself included. A head doesn't just speak, it, it moves while it speaks. And, and the body has to have the right attitude, the right breathing, and the right you know, stance, body position, and stuff like that. So it was, it was very important to really act Hoggle out and, and know what transitions were going on. Five performers trying to get one character out of one puppet. It's a very tough thing. That makes it work! Basically what it takes is a lot of rehearsing and getting to know each other, getting to know each other's timing. So that when I go, you know, something like that, the eyes go, you know, and Sherry goes, and you know, everybody does it at the same time. And they all know that it's gonna come and they know exactly what it's gonna sound like and all that. That took a lot of rehearsal. What was the actress's name for Hoggle? Uh, Sherry Weiser. Sherry Weiser, okay. Warwick Davis is in this movie too. He's uh, one of the goblins during the battle that he says, oh, I'm tired, I'm going to go to bed. <laughs> I, I, I imagined that he would be in this just because it was like, oh, uh, Lucas Films. And I was yeah. like, yeah. okay. So Lucas Film, Warwick Davis, like I'm sure he's in here somewhere. Like <laughs> he, He's got to be in it. And he's got to be in every Lucas Film. <laughs> I assumed it, he was Hoggle, but I guess not. No. Because I, I think uh, Hoggle was the character that I was like, since I don't remember the movie, I thought he was going to die. And I was, <laughs> was very concerned about that. <laughs> I, I thought he was going to eat the peach and die. <laughs> what a dark ass movie. <laughs> I, was, I was concerned. I was concerned about the well-being of Hoggle, even though he was a coward. I could tell he was trying he was trying to to break the the cowardice inside of him. He was trying to be better. Well, that's why I felt bad for him too. I never disliked Hoggle. I was like, well, he's being a dick, but I mean he Jared is is Jared is an intimidating person. It ain't gonna hurt the little lady, is it? Oh, now why the concern? Uh, I won't do nothing to harm her. Oh come, 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 Hogbrain. I'm surprised at you losing your head over a girl. I ain't lost my head. You don't think a young girl could ever like a rip? 
impulsive little scab like you do you? Well, she said... You'll give her that hoggle or I'll tip you straight into the bog of eternal stench before you can blink. Yes, right. And hoggle. If she ever kisses you, I'll turn you into a prince. You will? Prince of the land of stench. <laughs> Look, if Jared had given me a peach and he's like, yo, you got to give this to Marissa. I'm sorry, Marissa. I got to give it to you. I'm too scared of Jared. I'm too scared of David Bowie. Okay, I'm not going to accept any food from you from now on. Thank you. <laughs> um, but speaking of how my perception of this movie has changed over time, there was a point uh, like a few years ago where I was rewatching. And I was like, you know what? If I was Sarah, I wouldn't forgive Hoggle. Fuck that guy. Respect him as a character of this movie. But if he was my friend in real life, never talk to him again. Really? Yeah. How come? I just couldn't get over that she forgave him as soon as he jumped onto Humongous's back and saved them really poorly. I was thinking, okay, your big redemption gesture is going to try to save my life. You should at least be, like, good at it, dude. Oh, my God. <laughs> He didn't know how the machine worked. Even he, I was trying to figure out how it worked. He didn't have oh. to press any buttons, though. He exactly. could have just thrown the coupling off. His reaction was to press everything when really he could have just knocked that dude out. And, and Humongous would have frozen in place. He saved her life by almost killing her again. <laughs> yeah. So that was me. Sorry, Sarah, but I wouldn't have been friends with Hoggle. Or I should say, sorry, Hoggle. We ain't talking. I do like how Hoggle doesn't try to... <laughs> apologize and ex expect her to forgive her to forgive him i think yeah. that's something that's missing from a lot of uh youtube apologies <laughs> <laughs> oh what the you took this somewhere else <laughs> i was like wait where's he wait what oh wait that yeah fuck him. i think his apology is sincere yeah, well, it, it kind of comes off a little bit like he's, like, stubborn still. Like, I know yeah. you're not going to forgive me, but I'm saying I'm sorry. It's kind of like, man, quit quit fronting like that. Like, just say you're sorry. It just, you know, you like her, <laughs> yeah. man. Like, you you like her. Stop stop <laughs> pretending like she's a nuisance or anything. It was so, it was cute. I liked Hoggle. I liked Hoggle a lot. I'm Sir Dynamis, when he came on screen, I was like, I, I fuck with this dude. I like him. <laughs> and the fact that he was able to kind of hold his own against Ludo, someone who's like a hundred times his size. I was like, good on you, man. <laughs> uh, you guys say, oh, he can't hold up his own. I'm just saying Ludo wasn't able to kill him instantly. And Ludo was like a hundred times his size. Ludo should have been able to beat the shit out of him. And he didn't. So Ludo's so didn't also very slow moving. So... You know, I don't think it was the battle of the century. I think it was two rather inept people doing their best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he didn't I, even use his rock powers. Yeah. yeah, that is true. I will say my favorite part with Sir Dynamis was when he's like, uh, when he's cornered at the Goblin City and he's like, ah, I see I've got you guys cornered. <laughs> or he says something along the lines. And I'm like, that's my boy. <laughs> <laughs> And for your father to call this movie garbage, I'm sorry, I can't get over that. I can never look him in the eye again. <laughs> I think I think it just goes back to the fact that he's just watching this. He's like, this is for children. Like he's like, this is 
what am I getting out of it? Which is like, you're looking at it the wrong way, but I see where you're coming from. Like, I, mm-hmm. I understand it, but I'm also like, I can't force you to see the movie through my eyes, but I could tell you that you're watching it wrong. Do you know what I mean? If yeah. that makes sense? Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. I think that I read the reviews or blurbs from the reviews from Siskel and Ebert, who both did not like this movie. Ebert said well, that he... fuck them. I'll go on record. <laughs> he appreciated the craftsmanship, but he's like, the, the story is bad. Uh, and I think Siskel was like, oh, I, this it's so low to like put the well-being of a baby in jeopardy and that's like the main plot of the movie oh fuck I'm like, you uh, i don't think that f- baby was ever in danger you know it's not real like it's a fantasy world it's it's an he took a nap because she was angry and this this is the this is what we're seeing you know and i think that's really extreme because after watching this movie i guarantee every kid wished away one of their siblings hell yeah absolutely do you know how many times i've wished Melly to disappear so many times <laughs> so many times Double, triple digits I, I, I feel like I say it every other day like man I wish this bitch would leave and then I heard she, you say it to her face yeah and wow. then when she leaves I'm like no come back <laughs> I, and I'm a grown ass man That that's ridiculous too oh I can't believe the welfare of a child of a baby is put in danger it's a movie relax just stop it that's what I'm saying like Okay, look, do do I think the story is incredible? Like, I would put it next to The Lord of the Rings? No. I'm sorry, Marissa. It's it's not, though. Right, but, it's better. Uh, <laughs> but I'm not comparing it to Lord of the Rings. It's not yeah. trying to do that. It's trying to be something different. And it it succeeds, in my opinion. And it's enjoyable. It it goes by quickly. It's an hour and 40 minutes. It really only felt like an hour and 20 minutes. I didn't really feel the length, for me at least. I didn't feel it either. And there is so much craftsmanship to it. And you do kind of have to see it from the perspective of maybe someone younger. Because, yeah, if you're an adult watching it, yeah, you might not get much out of it. But, you know, just enter a different mindset, you know? I think it's the same way people were looking. Uh, it's kind of like um, that dissonance that critics had with Velvet Goldmine. We're like, well, it doesn't do this and that. It's like. It wasn't it, supposed to. It's not dumbass. It's, it's <laughs> literally taking the subject of the film and using th- that director, using everything in this toolbox to ex- to personify that subject which was glam Mm -hmm. yes okay maybe you're watching it a certain way and maybe you don't like it that's fine but you may be watching it wrong yeah absolutely And i feel like that's the case with my dad and labyrinth i think kids may have an easier time of just accepting what they're seeing do you know what i mean like maybe they're not thinking oh well this is silly this is stupid why wouldn't i bet you tom cruise wouldn't do that if he wasn't no they're not thinking that they're just thinking she's on an adventure with her friends She's got to get her brother back. All right. And it's silly and it's fun. It's just like, all right, just take it for what it is. I mean, to... I still see it as a, a real place that she went to. I know I can choose to see it as an anger nap that she took and a dream that she had. <laughs> I choose to see it as a real place. You think it's a real place? I choose to believe it's a real place because okay. it's more fun to believe that she went there. I know Austin was saying that this is like her subconscious and stuff. And I think... It is, like, open for interpretation. But I, yeah. That's the way I choose to see it. And I, I do think that there are some elements in there. Like, there is, like, this internal conflict 
that's personified in the labyrinth, but I also do think that it's a real place. Oh, you're on that team too? Yeah. I for me it's easier to swallow that it's a real place that she's going to. And it's just kind of nice to think of it that way. I'm not wholly invested in either theory, but <laughs> if I had to pick one, I had to pick Marissa's side. Okay. I cannot believe the reaction that I'm getting for Labyrinth. I did not expect this from you, George. <laughs> I thought I was, this is going to be two hours of us yelling at each other. I guess George is not the villain. Maybe there is a reason why we're friends. <laughs> <laughs> I Look, I think... I think one of the one of the benefits of watching so many movies is understanding that, yeah, not everything's going to, you know, be up your alley. You know, not everything's going to be Top Gun, but oh my God. there is something to appreciate in every film. That's how I felt about um, A Little Shop of Horrors, mm-hmm. you know, and that's how I felt about Velvet Goldmine. And I'm happy to say Labyrinth is on there. I will say there is one thing that I did not like. Okay. What is that? We're getting to the meat now. There are a lot of technical things I did like. Uh, some story things I did like a lot. There is one thing I did not like that I was me. like, you dropped the fucking ball. That was okay. One thing I didn't like was the music. <gasps> I wasn't crazy oh, about that... the music. What? what? <laughs> now, I know that song that David Bowie sings is great. Like uh... dance magic, I guess. I thought it was called magic dance, but on the credits, it said dance magic. I like the song. Like it's a cool I like catch. that song, too. The thing I hate about that and the thing I hate the most about the movie is David Bowie's choreography, especially in that <laughs> it's scene. so goofy. I hate it. I'm so sorry, Marissa. <laughs> oh, my but God. But I did not like it because it's a it's a cool song. And you're kind of like, oh, damn, look at all this. Look at all these goblins. Everyone's dancing and cool. And David Bowie is just doing the two step. Every <laughs> just going around doing the two step. You have all these puppets in the background. Some of them are like bouncing and bobbing you know there's only so much a puppet could do and here you have an actual person and he's just two-stepping it do you know what he reminded me of what? he reminded me of me when i was in middle school at the club parties oh that, our, that our elementary school would hold it's like uh, oh no actually george back then danced better than david bowie does yeah i got i gotta say i was imagining jonathan reese myers instead of david bowie oh my god <laughs> He had an actual choreographer for that scene. His name is Charles Augins. He was a character in Red Dwarf, and he's also a choreographer. Well, I think he was too scared to direct David Bowie, as, now, as he should be. What I will say, what I will say, in the movie's defense, because I don't want to shit on it completely, but I think when you have that many puppets on set, because there were a lot of them, he was surrounded mm-hmm. by goblins, and he has a child. They have a child there yeah. for most of it. There's one shot where it's clearly <laughs> not. Yeah. Where he throws the baby and it's obviously a puppet or yeah. like a doll. Yeah. yeah. Um, outside of that, there's a child, a, a baby, not a child, a baby mm-hmm. with a lot of puppets around. So I'm like, there might not be that much room for him to walk around, really choreograph. So, so I'm sure the choreographer is good and he only had a limited amount of space to actually dance in. But God damn, can you give him something else other than the two step? I was what the fuck, man? I even at that moment, I was like, "Okay, David, you look silly," and it's not because of your outfit. Which, look, let's just talk about it. His penis is very pronounced. <laughs> like, we have to yes. talk about that. It's yes, that was a deliberate choice on their <gasps> part. It was. Why did they do that for a kids' movie? 
because it was supposed to represent Sarah's budding sexuality. She is curious about penises. Therefore, David Bowie's penis is prominent. She's, she's starting to become horny. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, that makes a lot of sense, but I mean, damn, though, I, kids are watching this. And Well, huh? as someone who watched it as a kid, it never stood out to me. Someone had to, my sister pointed it out and she was like, you know, sometimes when I watch this, I'm so uncomfortable because of his penis. And I was like, his what? And then I <laughs> saw it after that. I still see, I still see it whenever I turn around. <gasps> <laughs> but it's, it's also a goblin puppet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I went to a, a museum in Seattle that had one of those outfits on display and whoever had set up this costume had no idea what a dancer's cup was. So they like put the tights on the mannequin. They're like, well, this doesn't look like David Bowie's penis. What should I do? <laughs> and it looks like they bunched up a sweater or something and like shoved it down there to give it bulk. It was terrible. Oh, man. And this was at one of the museums? <laughs> yeah, it was at Mopop. At the time, it was called the EMP Museum. So if you work there, can you please fix that? <laughs> Damn, you're a real ride or die fan with this movie. Yeah, she went to Georgia to yeah. go to a museum. For real? I went to London, Chicago, New York twice. Wow. Seattle. All for this movie? Yeah. I'm a God sucker. <laughs> That's, that sounds about uh, on board with all the rest of the Labyrinth fans out there. <laughs> <laughs> no, but. One of my favorite I things is that they made a Labyrinth board game, and it's beautiful. But on the instructions, they have an option to play with just yourself. And I was like, damn, they really know their audience. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. I, I don't think I've ever seen a board game you can play by yourself. Well, if you're lonely and you love Labyrinth, I recommend the board game because it is genuinely a lot of fun. Okay. The only other board game I could think of is like Battleship. But then you have a computer giving you feedback. Oh, I'm going to sound like such a loser on your podcast. Yeah, hey, that's fine. Like we, we cool. spent like 90 minutes talking about Speed Racer. Uh, yeah. It was just it, us two. Yeah. It, it's, not, it's not like you're not a loser for liking something. I think it's pretty brave to like like something so much and then put it out there for everybody to, to see or listen to. Oh, thank you. And I've always found that, that, ki that those kind of emotions, uh, they don't make you a loser. loser. In fact, it's infectious. Like, I can't mm -hmm. help. I think, to be perfectly honest, I feel like I would have loved this movie a lot more as a kid. If I hadn't had seen this movie, like, if I hadn't known you and watched this movie, I might feel differently about it. I might have not liked it as much. But hearing you talk about this movie and kind of everything that goes about it and kind of talking to you about it right now, it's like, you know what? She is right. Like, that is cool. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. It's like, I don't know. I think those kind of perspectives are really cool and fresh. And you're not always going to agree with them. But, you know, it's nice to have that. So, yeah. I love that we have on recording George saying that I'm right. I'm going to turn that into <laughs> my alert when you text me. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, though, you're wrong about that choreography. Because, God damn. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. I'm still up on that. Maybe you can confirm this, but they approached Prince and Michael Jackson and Sting for the role of Jareth. So Michael Jackson and Sting were in consideration for the role of Jareth. 
but um, Jim Henson's son, Brian Hansen, put his foot down and was like, no, you need David Bowie. David Bowie, David Bowie, David Bowie. So Jim Henson was like, all right. And he approached him and that's that. I don't even think that Sting and Michael Jackson got a copy of the script or ever talked to Jim. Poor Michael Jackson. I mean, that man, that man <laughs> wanted to be in every movie and he could not get any roles. He wanted to be Peter Pan. He wanted to be Spider-Man. He wanted to be, uh, he, he can't. He just couldn't. Hey, he was in The Wiz, though, and that's one of the best movies. Oh, I saw a clip of that with the, the monkeys on rollerblades or whatever. <laughs> that's that horrifying. Is the Wiz, does The Wiz have puppets and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. I it just that's another puppet movie I've never seen. Then I've Same. never seen the so Wiz. So good. I'm gonna spoil a scene. My favorite part of the Wiz is when they're in the sweatshop and Dorothy Diana Ross liberates them, and they unzip their skin, they peel it off, and what? there's dancers underneath, and they sing, "It's a brand new day." It's so goddamn cool. Oh man, I wish that was me. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I talk to Marissa, I feel like. There's another puppet movie that I have not seen or heard of. And I'm like, God damn it, man. This is a whole genre in itself. Yeah, maybe she is like that, that alien in um, Men in Black. Like, oh, my like God. A, there's like a little puppet <laughs> controlling her body right now. <laughs> She's trying to tell us, but. <laughs> you know, I you guys spoke about it very briefly in the first part. I have seen. Uh. The Dark Crystal. Really? And I was expecting this movie to be kind of like that. Mm -hmm. And I was a little concerned because I did not like The Dark Crystal. I was actually a little worried. I was like, fuck, if this movie's anything like that, I'm going to hate it. And then I'm just, and then it's going to be two hours of me and Marissa just fighting each other. Because <laughs> Dark Crystal is a good movie. Unfortunately, not as good as Labyrinth, in my opinion. But the Netflix show of dark crystal is so beautiful so if you didn't oh. like dark crystal you might like the show i really need to i think we should probably do that movie because i've never seen it i i was so confused they just have to repair the crystal that's all there is to it but there was like these the sketchy the get uh, the skexies is there's these giant birds and ah skexies so there's skexies and there's mystics they're connected. The Skeksis like try to genocide all the Gelflings because it's a prophecy. What the I, hell? Even I'm confused right now. All I heard was Skeksy. That's all I heard. I was trying to spell it in my head, and then more words were, were being said. I'm like, oh. how the fuck do you spell <laughs> that? I don't know. <laughs> but I'm glad it's not like Dark Crystal because this movie actually makes sense. And mm -hmm. I mean, like you said, Marissa, there is, or um, I think it was Austin, but one of you guys said that there is a, like a lot of imagery that you could like look deeper into. Absolutely. And, but, but the base story makes sense. Like a, a child could watch this and understand, oh, she's rescuing her brother. Boom. Easy peasy. He, here are all the different uh, levels and kind of what she has to go through. Dark Crystal, I can't tell you what the fuck is happening in that. I just know that there's a crystal and Marissa just clarified that they have to repair it. How do you repair crystal? I don't know. I, I think that there's another meaning behind it, even though I've never watched it. Because I think that there is a, like a message in this movie, you know, about growing up and all the things you have to face and growing as a person. 
Like she starts off this movie very, very selfish, very bratty and self-absorbed. And by the end of it, she's a much more generous person. Absolutely. And I think what Marissa said about kind of the abusive relationship, I, I listened to the I listened to you guys' part before I watched the film, and mm-hmm. it really stood out for me. I'm like, oh yeah, this is kind of abusive in a weird way. Because this man's threatening her, he puts her in danger. He, he, he threatens kind of, his employees in a weird yeah. way. In a weird way, he roofies her with yeah, the beard. Yeah, he does. Yeah, it's like oh shit. And David Bowie is a handsome man. He's a mm-hmm. stud. And I, it's just there's that kind of angle to look at it too. I'm like oh shit. Okay, there, there's there's something deeper to this. Obviously, you know, I feel like there's so many layers to it. And I think that's why David Bowie works so well in this character because he is—he does come off as very romantic. So you feel romanced while you're watching mm-hmm. it or you're imagining yourself as Sarah in this role. And so when you grow up and you look at these things like, oh, she was roofied, it kind of makes you think in real life, okay, is this person romancing me or is this person abusing me? And that's why I think the the decision to bring in a pop star was a really good idea. Even if it wasn't David Bowie, Michael Jackson, I think, well, I mean, given what I would have a about, hard time believing them as villains, though, like I, Michael Jackson or Prince or Sting. I, I don't think I could believe them as villains as much as I can David Bowie. Really? I have the yeah. opposite reaction. I think it does. I think it's the appeal because here you have, I mean, Michael Jackson, David Bowie, Prince thing. You hear you have singers that are adored, that are loved by their fans. And mm-hmm. there's like a distance created created because of their stardom. And that's the thing about Jareth. He's not meant to be sinister. He's not the guy that in the first three quarters of the film, he's this handsome man. And at the end, he turns into this horrible creature. He's a handsome man throughout. And even in his final plea to her, he says, please don't let me go. Like, don't, don't, don't stop this. He's not turning ugly. He's playing the suave man the entire time. And I could really see all these all these singers doing the same thing. They don't have to become villainous at the end. Because if that was the case, yeah, I don't I couldn't buy well, he's my- villainous throughout. Huh? He kidnaps a baby and then he threatens his employees, uh mostly Hoggle. He says, if you don't give her this peach, which is obviously a bad thing for her, I'm gonna throw you in the swamp. I think so, but he doesn't play it like a uh, ugly, hideous villain. He plays well. No, but it's he an plays ugly, it like a cool guy. Exactly, and yeah. I think his actions are ugly. Not not him. Well, because you're an adult watching this. All those singers could do that. I think they could all play the cool guy very easily. Now, granted, to different degrees, and I think David Bowie fits really well in this part. But I could see Prince doing this to a certain extent, just having that, like cool guy persona hey girl how you doing you know here eat this piece girl <laughs> i could see i don't know but i think for prince i don't i don't take his his acting as seriously i guess oh, fair enough. it always seems like that's prince that's prince when i see david bowie in this movie i'm i'm seeing jareth wow that is, and that's a good point too though that david bowie is out of those singers without a doubt he is the best actor i mean this dude worked with christopher nolan uh in the prestige and he's been in multiple films i mean marissa mm-hmm. you were talking about all the films he was he was in yeah i didn't even mention all of them he had a career as an actor this man has acted so he was a singer yeah. and an actor he wasn't a singer that had occasional acting parts you know so he did a great job but the way he was playing like 
the characterization of Jareth, I could see being played by Prince and stuff because he's the cool guy who is who never he he isn't two faced you know, like he's always the cool guy, but he's a shitty cool guy. If that makes sense, absolutely. I think he did a good job. I that is a cool tidbit. It is funny to me that you mentioned that he never turns ugly in this film because there was an early version of this script where as she says you have no power over me he turns uglier and uglier every time until he turns into a little goblin puppet (laughs) see that could have been that that could have been cool to see but i think it's more powerful when he doesn't change absolutely i agree he just kind of turns into an owl and flies away exactly yeah but like seeing i think that happens a lot in fantasy where like the spell is broken yeah and the antagonist, the villain, becomes ugly and hideous, and there sh- you see them for who they really are. But that's the cool thing about Labyrinth. Jareth J- is, you know, maybe he's a goblin underneath all that, but we don't ever see it. He, till the very end, is handsome David Bowie. Well, you know, he, at the very end, he becomes an owl, but, you know, nobody... Yeah. But, I mean, it just goes to teach these children that, hey, even beautiful people are also bad people. Yeah, like like mm-hmm. in a subconscious level. You're seeing someone very yeah. very handsome do some shitty things. And because they never turn, it's like, oh, oh, that's interesting. And what's really trippy is some kids are going to think like, oh, man, she did the wrong thing. Oh, man, like he's so handsome. She, he, can't you see he's playing for her? But I guarantee you as they grow up and they rewatch this movie, they're like, oh, wait, uh, different context here. Like he straight up roofied mm-hmm. her. Yeah. And and I think he says, let me own you, right? Let me rule you. Yeah. Let me rule you. (laughs) I think it's really, I, because when someone very handsome is saying, let me rule you, I think it takes on a very different meaning than when like someone who isn't as handsome says, let me rule you. Do you know what I mean? Very different. Mm -hmm. And I think kids are very, kids, kids could easily read that. So when you have the handsome person saying it, it creates a conflicting feeling. And I think that's I think that's great. I just think it hasn't really been explored in a kids movie before or since. And these are serious topics and important lessons for kids to learn. And I think it's amazing that they had the consciousness to make those aspects of the film. Definitely. Yeah, even talking about this movie more, I'm like, yeah, you know, you're right. Like, because th- these are these <laughs> the, uh, the David Bowie transformation. That's not something I was thinking about um, when I was watching the film. But now talking about it, I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah, they didn't do that. Yo, what the fuck? And <laughs> I I was expecting it, too. That Like, oh, he's going to turn into like a nasty goblin now. Like, oh, oh, I guess that doesn't happen. Don't get me wrong, that would have been awesome to see because I'm sure that the facts yeah. they would come up with would have been amazing. But... They would have spared no expense. Yeah. <laughs> what, that's, that's like, what would a Jareth Goblin look like? I'm sure it would have looked amazing, but that's not, you know, it's it's that thing of you're serving the story. You know, they're not doing it to mm-hmm. show off, well, here's what we could do with these puppets. No, they're like Jareth staying in his human form until the very end before he turns an owl like i it has a more powerful effect and this movie really tries to lure you in lure, lure you in into jared's his mystique his uh his handsomeness you know at that ball <laughs> you know um oh yeah and they're all the sexual 
undertones of that ball too with the mm-hmm. masks that are kind of like penis like and the <laughs> thing that jumps out of the box and there's this pit full of pillows and it's like an orgy pit and she doesn't know what's happening because she's just as a child an, yeah she's a child in an adult's ball gown for something that really isn't a ball i kept thinking of the the masquerade from phantom of the opera yeah oh see i went differently i went to uh it reminded me of the ball from van helsing <laughs> where where he where jareth is um is count dracula and Sarah is Kate Beckinsale. That's just me, though. That was that's the first thing I went to. I was like, "Oh, look, a ball like Van Helsing." <laughs> no, but overall, uh, it it it's not my favorite film that we've talked about on the podcast. But talking to you, Marissa, I feel a bit more enlightened. I feel a bit more like, "Oh my god, like, thank you." You know, <laughs> maybe not in the next like month or so. But if we were to hang out and you were like in the future, if we were to hang out and you'd be like, "Let's watch a labyrinth," I'd be like. Yeah, fuck it. Let's watch it. Like, who, you know? I have so much Labyrinth history and fun facts that I haven't even unloaded on you. If we watched it together, I'd be like pointing out all the hidden Jareths and, and just. Hidden Jareths? Yeah, there's seven hidden Jareths in the movie. What? Was the photo one of them? No, the photo was not one oh, of them. Oh, what? There's e- more? Uh, yeah, there's more. So, for example, they put this in to give the feeling that Jareth is always watching over her he's he yeah, knows everything that's happening definitely he's even, so, he's watching everything yeah yeah the second the second he gets kissed they like a, a shoot opens up and they go almost into the bog of of stench yeah. well in that scene uh they're like inching along this ledge right right after yeah. they fall out of the shoot and and hoggle says you kissed me and the, the ledge underneath them crumbles. Yeah. To the right side of the screen, you'll see a hidden Jareth face. So he was, he was <gasps> oh, watching. Oh, I, I know what you're talking about. I've, I saw a Jareth face uh, when she was marking the ground with her lipstick. Well, there you go. Yeah, he's hidden in the hedges. And when she's crawling up the ladder after they escape the cleaners, one of the steps breaks and there's Jareth's face. <gasps> God damn. Whoa. I... It's fun. It it's another thing to look for when you're rewatching it. Wow. I I really got the impression that Jareth was watching them the whole time, but I didn't know mm-hmm. that it was to that amount of detail. Yeah. That reminds me of like Midsummer. Remember Austin? Yeah, the the hidden heads. The hidden faces <laughs> like in the plants and mm-hmm. trees and stuff and like one of them is supposed to resemble uh the main character's sister uh with the tube sticking in her mouth. Spoilers for Midsummer. Uh, highly recommend it. Yeah, it's little <laughs> tricks like that where when you notice it, you're like, oh, fuck. I, I, when I saw it in Midsummer, it freaked me the fuck out. Like, yeah. I got goosebumps. And now that Marissa has just said that there's like seven of those chariots like in the film that you're not, that you, you can't really see the first time, I'm like, ooh, I'm kind of creeped out. But that's really cool. Mm-hmm. God damn, dude. I now I have to watch it. Now I have to rewatch it to find the Jarrett's. I have to Google it and I have to Yes you do. Why are the hit yeah. the hidden Jarrett? Is there anything, Marissa, that you do not think held up very well in this film? So because Dark Crystal was a very serious movie, Jim Henson thought that Labyrinth would benefit from being lightened up a bit. So he didn't mm-hmm. want to do a serious goblin battle. He chose to do a silly battle. Mm-hmm. And I wish he had made it a bit more serious because it <laughs> is a lot of fun, 
but it does lower the stakes for Sarah a bit. <laughs> okay. That was not what I expected you to say. No, not at all. What were you expecting? I didn't know if you'd say anything. <laughs> That's interesting. Like, that that bothered me a lot in Hook, the low-stakes battle. Especially because you, you randomly kill Rufio. But the low-stakes battle in this one, it didn't bother me as much because it it still made me laugh as a grown-ass man. I, I was still... Like, when... when <laughs> When the rock just like slowly rolls into the cannon and then yeah. <laughs> he's it's like, hey, didn't funny. I fire? It's yeah. so yeah, it's so funny. And that 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 goblin that just like gets obliterated when the rock falls on him. He's yeah. still he's still talking. Like he's Wiley e. Coyote or something. Yeah, because Jim Henson didn't want you to think that this goblin was actually hurt. He's fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But I think what saves it is the is the Esh, the MC Escher room where every, there's staircases everywhere and yeah. it's like that painting. That's what really raises the stakes again. So it's okay. Mm-hmm. I, I have to agree with Austin on this one. I one of the reasons I really like this film is because it does feel very lighthearted. Um, the stakes, I felt like the stakes are there, but they're not like life threatening. You know, like yeah, her brother might become a goblin. Not the worst thing to happen in the world. I'd prefer Melly to be a goblin. What the? <laughs> okay. Like, you know, like, we still, we're still, like, cool. Like, she's still living here. And she's not, like, with Jareth. But, like, if Melly were a goblin, I'd be like, yo, look at this goblin kid. <laughs> um, Honestly, George, I would love to see you as a goblin. But, like, your hair would stay the same. It would be adorable. <laughs> with curly hair? Yeah. Honestly, they, there needs to be, like, an Instagram filter for that. Like... Here's what you'll oh, look like oh yes, as, a, as, a, as a labyrinth goblin. If I was smart enough, I would 100% make that filter. That'd be a cool filter. I think uh, the final battle is really, it's really entertaining and it's fun. And it kind of lends to that like lightheartedness that's throughout the entire film. You know, uh, like the bog of stench, mm-hmm. basically a giant fart joke. So I don't know. I yeah. Personally for me, but again, though, this is a first time viewing compared to a hundredth time viewing so i don't know if i mentioned it earlier if i just thought it um but they did have a premiere of labyrinth where the royal family did attend and they loved the bog of stench they were they loved the fart joke so it is royal family approved humor whoa really they have a photo of princess diana like shaking hands with ludo no wait that's Oh, that's so cool. The, so, like, the good the good part of the royal family. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, the, I don't care about the royal family. Oh, okay. The princess, the, the, the people's princess. Isn't that Diana's name? Yeah. She knows what's up. Oh, that's really cute. Yeah. No, but see, that that's the funny thing. Mo- most of the time, fart jokes are kind of like, all right, they're stupid. They're juvenile. But no, the, yeah. when you hear, when you see it and hear it, it's like, oh, that's kind of funny. That this is the way that he's threatening them. <laughs> if you fuck up, I'm going to throw you into this really nasty bog. Oh, no. <laughs> Please don't. Yeah, I'm, I'm thankful that uh, I didn't see this movie in 4D. Have you ever seen movies in 4D where they, like, spray stuff at you? And oh, like, yeah. Oh, no. I, it's the worst idea ever. No, no, no. I saw The Fate of the Furious in 4D, 4DX, and oh, it God. was awesome. But this movie... It's terrible. I think it'd be pretty cool, except for that box. I part. did go to a screening of Labyrinth where they made it interactive. Like mm-hmm. you go to a Rocky Horror Picture Show, 
So they had like a whoopee cushion for that scene and a scratch and sniff <laughs> card for the bog stench where it's no. so stinky. How bad was uh, the bog stench card? It was pretty stinky. That's cool though. <laughs> Honestly, like right now that I, I kind of have this urge to rewatch the film just because I, I love yeah. it. I really want to. <laughs> my work is done. Yeah, it kind of is. And then I feel like. I fulfill my life's purpose. I feel like I, the, I think the best possible way to watch a labyrinth is with Marissa. So oh so God. we may have to watch this um, next time we're up in Arizona. Ten nice. years I've been waiting. Ten long years. Finally, I honestly, I think mission accomplished because I'm kind of like ex- more excited to watch this with you just because you're like, oh, you see this right here? Well, this thing right here is this person doing this, this. And I'm like, oh, no shit. And <laughs> no, but overall, uh, fun movie to watch. Seriously. And in times where... You wake up and everything's depressing or gone to shit. It's fun to watch a movie that is lighthearted. The, one of the worst things that can happen is you get thrown in a swamp of farts. <laughs> yeah, but that, that swamp <laughs> looks really stinky, though. It looks bad. And you'll stink forever. I mean, honestly, like, when Ludo brings the rocks up and they all walk across, those rocks are covered in bog slime. Yeah. And they walked across it. So they should have been stinky for the rest of the movie, but magically they weren't. You know, that's what I was thinking too. Mm. I was like, those rocks look nasty. Yeah, I would be like asking asking them to clarify like, hey, so if I step on this rock, will I be stinky forever? I just need to know. <laughs> will my shoe be stinky or will I be stinky? What are can the I, rules? Can I take off my shoes after? The dog just crosses him with his bare paws and he's not stinky. Jared's slacking. Yeah, no, you know what? This is a this is a plot uh, this is a what's it, a plot hole. I will not accept it. Yep. Therefore, I take back oh everything I said about this movie. It's trash. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> it's, I, the the cinema sins video for this will be five seconds long. <laughs> <laughs> they stepped on the bog, the bog rock. I will. They're not stinky. My immersion. <laughs> uh, I will say, I haven't. I'm not a big Jim Henson fan. Like I'm not a big puppets guy. Um. I really have started getting more into them because of you, Marissa, and Aaron and Alicia, because you guys really like puppets. So that's kind of like gotten on, that's gotten a hold on me a little bit. You're like the bog of stench, but with puppets. Oh my God, that's terrible. Like I've, I've got it. I've got the puppet bug now. Okay. I will say there was one point where I was filming something with puppets and George had to be a puppeteer. And the moment he put that puppet on his hand, he just lit up. <laughs> okay, okay. So, Marissa, for our viewers out there, and you know what, Austin, we should link her short videos with this episode. Oh my god! Because Absolutely. Marissa made a few short films with puppets in them that are fantastic. I love them. Thank you. Uh, the the one with the Necronomicon, the first one, less than a, <laughs> it's under a minute long, and I love it. It's one of my favorite short pieces ever. I. Oh my god! Yes, yeah, no, it is. Thank you. It is fantastic so we we got to put the links up because it's cute it's fun and the puppet that you had me handle for one of the short films was incredible i don't even know what it was it was just this giant pink (laughs) creature and you know what the weird thing is it kind of does bring something out of you like i don't know what Mm -hmm. it is but there is something about just putting that creature in your hand and just being like hi (laughs) <laughs> it's just something childish about it but it's really fun and cool it kind of 
in a weird way, I was like, okay, you know what? This is kind of fun. I don't want to admit it, but it is. <laughs> <laughs> I knew the moment I clocked eyes on you, George, this is going to be a man who loves puppets. We have, <laughs> we have an instinct about these things. <laughs> Puppet people. There, there is some, there's just something about it that just instantly you just turn into a different person. And the more, the longer you keep doing it, it's like, oh my God, no wonder Jim Henson fell in love with them. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of Jim Henson, I didn't follow his career as much. I'd known about him for a while, just kind of never really watched any of his films. But after Labyrinth, but now I kind of do want to go back a little bit. Like I don't, I, I want to, I'm. I want to rewatch Dark Crystal because maybe I just wasn't in the right mindset for it. Maybe there are some other films out there that I'm not totally appreciating that I might. So good. Well, good job, Marissa. I keep on saying that I think you would really like the movie Legends. It's not connected to Jim Henson, but it has Tom Cruise. It has Tim Curry and it has those high fantasy aspects. that I think you would enjoy. We should we should save it for for an episode. Yes, because Legends would be a good one. I have some issues with it. Actually, the biggest issue I have with it is Tom Cruise. Oh my god! I know, I know. This is oh. this is a teaser for when we talk about legends. Like oh, George has, a, he was so glittery. George has a problem with Tom Cruise, and it's not the Scientology. What? <laughs> and it, it, it has. It's the furthest thing from Scientology. Darkness. <laughs> <laughs> no, so uh, yeah, I kind of you know, uh, it's it's happening. This podcast is changing me. What's happening to my broiness? I came in loving <laughs> Top Gun and 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 titties, and now I'm now I'm what into musicals and puppets. What's happening to me? I'm melting. No, you're growing, George. You're <laughs> a growing boy. You're 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 transforming. You're transforming like Sarah was in this movie. <gasps> oh wow! I found the Sarah inside of me. I was in you all along. <laughs> That's beautiful. God damn you, Marissa. This is the part of the show where we talk about the quotes that best summarize how we feel about this movie. Okay? Mm-hmm. Do you okay. have a quote prepared, Marissa? I think I would choose babe with the power. Because that's <laughs> what it means to me. She She's a babe with the power. And I'm a babe with the power for having watched it. All right. That's, that's a good one. That's a good one. George, do you have one? I do. And mine's is actually a little bit deeper. I this might be one of the quotes that hits a little bit hard for me. I think it's from Jareth. And he says, everything I've done, I've done for you. I moved the stars for no one. And that quote really hits me. If I'm gonna get a little serious for a second, because okay. I feel like this movie has this kind of romance undertone to it, you know, or it's it's about kind of just romance. Yes, he's a grown man. She's a child. We're not talking about that. Um. I'm, I, Mar- when Marissa said kind of abusive relationship, it kind of made me see the film a little bit differently. And when he said that quote, it kind of, in a weird way, kind of brought back these old feelings of like, I feel like I've said that to people before. Like, to, to like, mm-hmm. you know, ex-girlfriends when I was young. And it's like, I love you so much that I would never do this for anyone. And looking back at it now... Now that I'm a grown ass man, kind of thinking about some of those past relationships, it's like that was the wrong way to go about it. That was childish Mm -hmm. and that was borderline abusive. And I'm like, 
it it was a quote that I wasn't expecting to hit as hard as it did, but it it did. And I'm like, holy shit, am I learning more about myself? Oh my god. Oh, yeah. And it was, I don't know, it was just I think listening to that first part where you were talking about it, Marissa, and just that quote and the way he delivers it and the way it ends, it was just like I'm seeing something different and it's making me think, which I don't like doing. So <laughs> I don't know. It, I thought that was a really powerful quote and it left an impression on me. And I think it highlights it highlights one of the themes of this film amazingly. And it, it brought something out of me. So that's my quote. That's a really good that's quote. A great quote. Wow, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. You're making me all it's... introspective. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Ugh. That's why we do this podcast, you know? Like, these movies are more than just, like, entertainment for two hours. Like, if you really think about them and talk about them and you, you share them with people that mean something to you, right? You you get to see more about them, more about yourself, and more about the world. Like when we, we did Munich, right? We did all that research about oh, yeah. um, what, what was happening in Israel and with the Palestinians and everything. And we did Velvet Goldmine. We learned about some of the laws that restricted uh, homosexual people in England for for a long time. Uh, so it's this, this is why we, we talk about movies and why we do this show. Um, so the quote that... I have was I kind of spoiled it already is I don't know why but every now and again for no reason at all I need you which is what Sarah says to Hoggle at the end before dancing with all the puppets at the end it made me like I said before think about uh, all the people and things that mean something to me you know living in in quarantine and everything but also it kind of makes me think about like this, this movie doesn't have like big stakes, you know. Especially with the way I see it as all being a manifestation and of our subconscious, but it's still like really fun. Like maybe movie doesn't need to have like these big world changing stakes, you know. It can just exist as it is. That's isn't it crazy? Because I don't think either you or I expected to kind of get these feelings from this movie. Do you know what I mean? You're, you're relating it to the past year of COVID. I'm relating it to past relationships and stuff. And I, I don't know about you, but I wasn't expecting that at all from this film. Um, I was expecting a children's movie with puppets and some fantasy shit. See, what you're experiencing right now is the power of Labyrinth. That is, well, <laughs> I told you it was life changing. Well, it's 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 kind of what Austin was saying, though. I, you know, every film kind of brings something out of you. That's what labyrinth brought out of me and it's weird be and i always say this i always preach this i think you I, to our listeners i think you guys should watch as many movies as you can even if you're not in it if even if it doesn't you don't think you're gonna like it just give it a chance because you never know you never ever know what's gonna hit hard I, there's so many movies on, that we've gone over that i didn't think were gonna have an impact on me this movie I didn't. I only watched it because we had mm -hmm. to do it for the podcast. I had no real interest in it. The first time I did, <laughs> I muted it. I didn't give a shit about this movie. I don't. I, again, on Velvet Goldmine, I said I cared about David Bowie two out of ten. I was so mad when I heard that. It's it's the <laughs> truth though, and yet somehow, yeah. I got this reaction. This movie gave me this reaction. So that's why I always encourage you guys watch what you can, listen to what you can, because you never know. There may be a movie out there that could 
that could make your whole day even better, your whole year. And there might be a chance you don't watch it because, well, you know, I don't. It just looks weird. It looks different. I, you know, I've been preaching this for a long time, and even I still got. I still don't follow everything I say because I've been saying this shit for a while, and I still didn't give Labyrinth the chance. And now that I was forced to, I'm glad I did. So thank you, Marissa. Yes, thank you, Marissa. You're welcome. I've been waiting to hear that for a long time. <laughs> Uh, so where can people find you if they want to see more Labyrinth trivia or see what else you're, you're into? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram. I am Me, and uh, I'm always posting Labyrinth stuff. That's my life. You posted, you posted and... Labyrinth stuff before this podcast. Yeah, like... <laughs> I, I just bought... Um, from like a prop house, a section of Ludo's hand, like a tiny little <laughs> oh scrap. My God. This is my life. <laughs> and yeah, we we want to post up some of your short films as well with your, with your amazing puppets. Check those out, guys, because they are really, really great. I promise you, they are super fun to watch. Thank you. I have to post one of them, but I'll, I'll post it before you put this podcast out. <laughs> Beautiful. Awesome. Um, so that's that's all we have for this episode. Um, oh my god! I guess I guess Sirius knows that we're wrapping up because he decided to make all this noise right now. Is that your cat? <laughs> yep, he's like scratching up some cardboard. He is um, adorable. Um, he's adorable. But he's a little demon, but he's adorable. Oh, he's he's a he's an amazing cat. I love him. Even though you know what I found out, I'm mildly allergic to cats. I feel like you told me that, so that's a lie. No, no, no. Or did I tell you that? <laughs> you told me that before, I, well, yes. God damn it. Because you were in your college roommate. I've always been like, am I allergic? I don't think so. Because when I was taking care of your cats, it wasn't that bad. But this past weekend, I was like, oh, I'm feeling a little itchy. Oh, what is it? Nothing that a little Allegra can't fix. But but thank you very much, Marissa, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to be welcomed and allowed to talk about Labyrinth. Many people have, have tried to shut me up, but I'm not backing down. <laughs> yes, you, you had a pretty much open platform to talk about this movie, or at least I hope hope you did, or felt like I, you did. I could talk for hours on this, so I, I got out what I could in the amount of time. Awesome. <laughs> That's all we have for this episode. We release new episodes every other Sunday. George and I actually mapped out our whole rest of the year for what movies we're going to talk about more on that later uh, if you are not following us on instagram or twitter what are you doing give us a follow on instagram and twitter we are at retrograde underscore pod on both platforms we are on youtube now as retrograde podcast we're posting some of our little videos we're going to be posting our full-length episodes if for some reason you want to listen to them on youtube well now you have that option. We also have a Facebook page, which is rarely updated, but it's there. <laughs> and we are going to be on TikTok soon. As soon as I download the app to my phone and make posting on there a regular thing. Uh, real More. quick, Austin, uh, this is an aside. Mm -hmm. Did you want to talk about uh, on August 1st, we have our retrograde retrospective. That's true. That's true. Um, 
That's a cool name, right, Marissa? That's awesome. Guess who came up with it? Was it Austin? No, it was not. <laughs> <laughs> it was not. Uh, so sh- should we talk about that? Maybe some of the things. Yes, that we yes, yes. To- yes. So on, as you've noticed, you know, we've been doing this for, maybe you haven't noticed, but we've been doing this podcast for one year. We have 26 episodes, re- one released every other week. So 52 weeks in a year, 26 our first year anniversary is coming up. We're calling the special episode a retrograde retrospective. Coined by your spirit. Beautiful. Good job. I got it. I got it. I'm gonna take credit for it, man. You should take credit for it. <laughs> you said it before on the Grace Lee Project episode. You want to be known as a guy who has moments of brilliance. Yeah. And well, this was one of them. This was one of them. That's why I'm letting I'm letting y'all know. What are some of the things we're going to be talking about on that episode? You and I are going to be going through our past episodes and kind of talking about how we feel about this past year, uh, where we want to go in the next year. You guys, for the rest of this year, we're going all out. December is going to destroy us because of how much work we have coming up. But we are so excited. We're going to go into more detail about that. We're We're really going to go back through our episodes and see moments where... We're really proud of and moments that we weren't proud of. I was actually re, uh, listening to our Independence Day episode, episode, and I feel like I went way too easy on Austin. So we're going to go into that a bit. I oh feel the same. I feel the same. I feel like I was too easy on that movie. Y- you know what? Round two, baby. Round two. Round two. Uh, uh, Independence Day resurgence. Oh. <laughs> no. <laughs> Marissa was there. She saw it with us. She knows what's up. I did. I did go see that movie after a terrible day we went to see that movie Mm. (sighs) but that episode is going to be super awesome austin we are well we are also going to be posting up we're going to be answering any of your guys's questions so on our instagram page we're going to have the what do you want to ask us and we'll go over them well any anything you guys want to ask us it's carte blanche as some people say right that's that's the Mm -hmm. same it's yeah. whatever goes. And uh, if you have questions about Labyrinth, I will answer them. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll forward them to Marissa and then she'll she'll <laughs> contact you. She's a resident labyrinth expert. But yeah, we're gonna talk about we're gonna answer you guys' questions, talk about the past year, where we're headed in the future, particularly the rest of this year, because as Austin said, we mapped out the rest of the year and it is fucking wild. It sounds like too wild. Maybe you guys should calm down. No, never. Well, okay. you know, uh, as uh, as uh, as uh, Austin doesn't have to know about this. This is just to you, listeners. Austin, don't pay attention to this, but I'm gonna try to introduce Norbit into our schedule at some point as a surprise switch up. So, you know, just keep an eye out for that as well. Okay, Austin, you can start listening again. Huh? What was that? Okay, cool. So it's gonna be super fun. I'm super excited for that retrospective. I'm excited as well. <laughs> Awesome. I am a fan of this podcast. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yes. That's all we have for today. Uh, thank you for listening. We will see you in two weeks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.